Hello, Kristen here. Before we get into this episode, I wanted to tell you that the antidote is a thing that's happening. It's a series of monthly gatherings that will help you return to your body and your being over and over again in the face of, you know, 2024, election insanity, climate change, global wars, your own personal stuff, other stuff. It's crazy out there. And it's easy to abandon yourself and freak out. The antidote is for bringing you home to yourself so that you can be safe in your being even when the world outside of you feels objectively unsafe. And because everybody's marketing at you and there's no reason for you to believe me, you can head to jointheantidote.com to grab a free recording of the first session that happened this week so you can feel it instead of thinking about it to see if it's a good match for you. That is jointheantidote.com. Scroll all the way down and you will see a place to pop your email address in and grab the recording. Hello, you're about to listen to a podcast that talks about the softness sessions in the end. And I wanted to update you that the next round starts on March 19th, 2020. And our live uh, breathwork will be on April 30th, 2020. And all of the information can still be found at thesoft.space. So please head on over there. And if you're listening after March 19th, 2020, you can still head to thesoft.space and see what's up as I will update everything as soon as humanly possible. Thanks so much for listening and enjoy the show. to episode 201, which is called How to Actually Change the Whole Damn World. Yes, we're going for like tiny topics and insignificant things here, people. <laughs> um, a couple of things before we start, literally a couple. Um, breathwork for feral unicorns happens on Tuesday, and you can pick up a seat at breathehealrepeat.com. Um, and uh, yeah, breathwork is awesome. And it's the way that I clear so much um, of the garbage and junk and bullshit and awful that happens in life uh, while staying relatively buoyant. So yeah, it's awesome. And if you're like, what's a feral unicorn? Imagine a unicorn, but one that doesn't necessarily play by the unicorn rules. Like you, you sort of dance to the beat of your own drum or you would like to dance to the beat of your own drum. Yeah, exactly. Um, breathwork can help you get there. And then if you would like to work with me for coaching for a whole year, uh, you can book a call to talk with me about that for about 15 minutes and I will give you a yay or nay based on what you tell me. Um, or you can grab a brochure, both of those things at kristenkelp.com slash tap. Everything you need is at kristenkelp.com slash tap. Uh, I'm recording this on the day that episode 200 comes out. And at this point there are seven spots. Um, I imagine that that will change. So because I can't go into the present from the, from the past, it's not happening. So if there's anything still available, that's where you'll find it. Okay. So how to actually change the whole damn world. Um, this one is probably about double the length of, I used to aim for 15 minutes. It's a little longer because it's important. Um, here's what happened. I got really upset. And when I get really upset, if I do it well, 
I use it as fuel and I become incredibly articulate. So that's what happened. That's where this came from. I went to the doctor and of course the very first thing they do, um, just so that you feel like a piece of trash that rolled in from the street is weigh you. And I find out, um, that I am just shy of weighing 200 pounds. Um, uh, my highest weight in high school was 169. Come on. That's funny. Um, I got married at 137 in 2006. Like I weighed 137 pounds for like eight whole weeks. <laughs> and this is the most that I've weighed ever. The thing is, I have very, very little shame about that 198.6 number, right? Depending on whether I've taken a poop today. I don't care. Um, I'm really, really fucking healthy in the other health categories that count, which I would count as mental, spiritual, sexual, energetic, financial, and emotional. I didn't get depressed last winter, which is the first time I felt fine during that season and did not have seasonal affective disorder in over a decade. I am on top of my adulting. My library fines are paid. I'm making art regularly. My house is clean. My car is inspected. Just those basic things that are the first things to go or to slide in not so healthy times. Most importantly, I do not want to stop living life. I am not suicidal. I can read the news without sinking into a ball of despair and losing three hours to weeping uncontrollably about things I cannot change. That used to happen fairly regularly. So when activists and super woke people were like, you have to watch the news, it's irresponsible to watch the news, being silent is complacency and all that stuff, it was like, um, yeah, like sometimes that would happen, but it would lead to these enormous weeping spells and despair that was so heavy that I couldn't get out of bed and it was not helping. It was hurting. So I'm not there anymore. And aside from that single measurement, which we take to be the most important in our culture, my weight, uh, I'm healthier than I've ever been. So why did I have to sit through a lecture about it? lecture about it <laughs> because nowhere in the, and I timed it 9.6 minute doctor's visit that cost $165. Did she ask about my actual health? Like capital M, capital A, capital H, my actual health. She checked in with her notes from last year about what I should be doing. Synthroid, you're on that? No. Uh, what are you doing? Um, and you can hear all about how I healed my thyroid minus medication at Tiny Annoying Progress. There's a link at kristenkelp.com. And then she said, well, I need blood work. Why didn't you get blood work? And, uh, oh, an enormous battery of pointless tests is expensive. You're right. Why don't you have insurance? Oh, because paying $600 or more per month for insurance costs more than paying cash for when you need to see a doctor. And because your ex-husband's mom's job was literally to deny people their claims, no matter what they said or whether or not they were legit. <laughs> well, you can go to a clinic if you don't make enough money to pay for the tests. Holy fucking patronizing. Uh, and then finally, you need to lose weight. You know what to do. Fruits, vegetables, whole grains. I literally said, yeah, 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 until she moved on. Like, I couldn't care less about your blah, blah, blah. Also, it should be noted... She definitely weighs more than me. And I feel that that's not important in most contexts or situations. But if you are calling the person that you're running with slow, but they're faster than you, perhaps an attitude adjustment is in order. <laughs> so let's break down this emotional gauntlet and then provide alternative questions that would actually benefit both health professionals and the patients that they are seeing. 
Shaming people about their perceived lack of health merely by weighing them is not only responsible, it's dangerous. I know many skinny people who are dead inside and many overweight people who are incredibly healthy, despite what the number on the scale says. In my experience, a doctor gets to don a white coat and know what you should do, despite not asking once about what you've learned this year or where you've gone internally or how your relationships are affecting you or how the headlines are affecting you or even what your mental health is like on any given day. Quote, Celexa, 20 milligrams, still need that? Quote, yup. Next point of order. That is not an exaggeration of how I got a full year's prescription for my antidepressants. That's it. That's the extent of her mental health check-in. Rather than just railing against healthcare, you're not here for that, or trusting the healthcare system to help us, let's find ways for you to gauge your health from home with really fucking good questions, which are RFGQ for short. You can ask these of yourself first, then share what's actually going on within you with the health providers of your choice. And if you would like to regain your belief that health practitioners can be amazing people, I want you to check out the interview with Amy Derby's, um, with her, uh, Amy Derby's is here to heal was the podcast and you will love her. Okay. So really fucking good questions that actually help determine your overall health. Here we go. This is not an easy list. It might trigger you in ways that you weren't expecting, um, not from like a weird, abusey, awful energy, but from like, oh my God, I've never thought about that. I hope that that's what it gives you, some sort of key to unlocking what's going on within you without blaming it on, well, I'm three pounds overweight, so that must be why. How many deeply meaningful relationships are you cultivating at the moment? And I use the word cultivating on purpose because no relationship remains in a state of stasis. It's generally growing or dying, uh, expanding or shrinking. How often do you feel lonely? When did you last sing, dance, or otherwise express yourself for quote unquote, no good reason? When did you last place your bare feet on the earth and or sand and or mud and or river and or just generally bare feet on ground? How is your mental outlook on any given day? Do you feel as if you're growing more or less resilient over time? And that second question is so important because it isn't on a scale of one to 10, where are you? It's on a scale of one to 10, where are you? And where were you a year ago? Where were you three years ago? Where were you seven years ago? Um, are you growing more or less resilient over time? So on days when I am at an eight out of 10, those are far less frequent than I used to be. And most days I'm at, let's say a three out of 10 in terms of like, <sighs> Things are insane and I can't quite take it. The lower end of the spectrum being like, everything's cool. Uh, I'm at a three most days now. And I used to be like seven, eight, nine all the time. Like everything was a crisis. Everything is panic. I can feel and see and witness myself getting more and more resilient over time. And that deserves to be celebrated. And that is the goal. How much time do you spend on screens each day? Now we all know that the average user of a smartphone spends four hours on screens per day. 
If you cut that by half, you get two hours of your life back, number one. And number two, I guarantee that you will feel better. So the question then is, what would you tell me you need to do in order to correct your relationship with those screens? And what we're doing here is mining for things that you can do that are actually fairly simple, like put your feet on the ground, um, pay attention to relationships, um, monitor your mental outlook, um, spend less time with screens. Those are all really, really doable and they don't cost anything. Like putting your phone down does not cost you money. Um, putting your feet on the ground in theory does not cost you money unless you want to go to the Jersey Shore and pay $5 for a beach tag, which is worth it. Next question, do you get more than seven hours of sleep per night? And then follow up, will that be changing in the foreseeable future for better or worse? So if you're pregnant, we all know that's going to shit. Um, but if you are really working on that, it can also be moving in a good direction. Like, okay, I used to get six and I'm really trying for seven and then I'm really trying for seven and a half. We know that sleep is not a negotiable. And so are you paying attention to that? Do you engage in sexual acts with yourself and or your partner or partners on a regular basis? That's not nearly as important as do you find those activities enjoyable? And if not, how might you find them more pleasurable? So if you're having shitty sex, it's shitty sex and I don't care how much of it you're having. But how can you enjoy sex more with yourself, with a person, with other people? That's an interesting question. I don't necessarily have the answer, but it's worth asking. How does your financial situation feel on a day-to-day -day basis? It's not what it is. It's how does it feel? Does it feel manageable? Does it feel overwhelming? Do you avoid it entirely, which I did for a number of years? Um, how does it feel? Has anything about it changed drastically in the, first, in the last few months? So that might be good drastic, like you have an incredible amount of um, income coming in, and that can be disorienting. Or you've lost a bunch of money, and that can be disorienting. And then probably the most important question, is there anything about your finances that you're avoiding? Because avoidance tells you exactly what the next step is in your own growth. Do you have one nutritious meal per day? And we all know what nutrition is. Notice that I didn't say healthy, I said nutritious. Because we know there's a difference. We're not talking reduced fat Cheetos that are nutritious or no. <laughs> We're talking actual like, is your body receiving nutrients via your food? And what would adding more nutrition to your diet in a doable way look like? Again, there's, there's, no, there's no judgment, there's no weirdness, there's no, you have to eat kale every day for the rest of your life, three times a day. It's just, what would more nutrition look like? How much time do you spend in your body each day, whether for work or play? So that's not, that's not do you work out? That is, how much time do you spend in your body each day? How often are you with you in your body, not just using your body as a jar to walk your brain around? Has this increased or decreased significantly in the past few months, and how has that changed your overall outlook? So if you've started to be in your body more, in theory, that's going to make you generally feel better. And if you've been in your body less, like avoidance, or you've had an injury, or you don't have time because the kids are home from school, um, in theory, that's going to generally change your overall outlook on a decline.
And this is just noticing. Um, and I also want to say, because uh, someone specifically called me to say that it was life-changing, uh, that on Instagram, I got on Instagram and I was like, I think I don't ever want to go to a gym again. And that's the most freeing thing that I can think of right now. Because um, we're taught that like, if you care, you go to the gym. Dude or dudes made that up. The advent of the gym is very, very recent. And it's a, it's a function of prestige and privilege that you have access to a gym, that you can pay for a gym, that you have transportation to the gym, um, all of those sorts of things. So you do not have to go to the gym ever again. In fact, gyms are some of the least healthy places on the planet. And I do not mean that in a disparaging way. I mean that in the way that I experience gyms. At my gym, you you literally, and I know I'm using literally wrong, but I don't care. You literally cannot work out without having 24 enormous screens in view. There's one huge main workout room and they surround the perimeter. So you cannot turn your back on it ever because it's from all four sides of a rectangle that the screens surround you. Every single um, treadmill, stair stepper, or general like cardio machine has an attached screen as well. If you are working out to fill some sort of internal well or to be in contact with your body or simply to be in your body, you are actively battling house demolition shows, stock news, Wall Street news, the latest headlines, talking heads on Fox News, and assorted music videos for the duration of your workout. The workout brings you no closer to your own interiors, thus divorcing it from the wisdom of moving your body outdoors, in nature, or in yoga. I would argue that for me personally, the gym is not a place of health. It's a place of striving. It's a place of comparison. And it's a place of unmitigated noise and input that I do not sanction or enjoy. So yeah, there's a pool. I'll go to the pool. When the pool closes, that membership is canceled. <laughs> That's it. Do you have any recurring pains, flare-ups, or bodily issues you would like to investigate further? And it's totally worth investigating them, even if they seem small or inconvenient. Any inconsistencies that you notice at a very small level can be treated much more easily than before it becomes this huge, enormous, vast problem. How sensitive would you say you are when compared to other humans? How do you cultivate and nurture your sensitivity? Know that that's not deaden, that's not stuff down, that's not hate, that's not resent, that's not ignore. That is cultivate and nurture your sensitivity. What do you ignore, pretend isn't a problem, or otherwise glaze over when describing your life to others? What I mean by this is that sometimes when... Um, people are interested in coaching with me or start coaching with me, they will say things like, my marriage is a disaster, but I don't want to talk about that. And that's a big admission for them because normally they just completely fail to mention that at all. Those sorts of like huge things that you're just like, oh, that's not a problem. Can, can we just acknowledge you with you? You don't have to tell me that that is actually something that needs to be addressed. Because where you have 
horrific or toxic or terrible or life-sucking relationships, they affect your health. Finally, how do you cultivate a sense of meaning and or fulfillment in your life? Uh, now, we all love Rebecca Solney, or at least I hope you do. She is a fantastic author, woman, person. She's the person who created the term mansplaining. Um, in her book, A Paradise Built in Hell, she says meaning must be sought out. It's not built into most people's lives. She goes on to say that no one will diagnose you as suffering from, quote, social alienation, meaninglessness, or other anomalies that rise from uh, something other than familial and erotic life. Even though those afflictions can be far more burdensome and challenging than carrying around a few extra pounds or worrying about zits or whatever it is that your doctor is super obsessed with at the moment. The meaning question is hard and it's big. Um, how do you cultivate a sense of meaning and or fulfillment is tricky shit. And it can be absolutely brutal if you've never considered it before. So I want to go a touch deeper into it. I'll tell you how I make meaning so that you don't feel judged or like I'm giving any sort of prescriptive, I know what's best for you advice. I do not have on a white doctor's coat. I am not going to tell you what to do. Meaning is something I actively create through, um, there are four main ones that came to mind right away. One is initiating and noticing progress, both in myself and in my coaching clients. Um, it's being proud of myself for noticing that I used to be at a seven, eight, nine in terms of volatility. And now I'm at a three, like, it's really hard to get me riled up unless you shame me about my weight. <laughs> but I don't think we spend enough time initiating or noticing progress. We always want the end point and we so rarely get the end point. One of the ways we make meeting is noticing progress. It's also maintaining a regular spiritual practice. In my case, this is breathwork, which is both lovely to talk about and incredibly difficult to talk about because it is so important to me. Uh, it's turning the bullshit, the awful, the challenging, and the frustrating into materials that other people can use and appreciate and get meaning from themselves. So that's podcasts, that's classes, that's books, and that's coaching. It's actively using my life as, as Ram Das would say, grist for the mill and letting it all sort of get processed, run through me, and then bringing it back to you in forms just like this. Finally, it's being vulnerable with myself and with others where, whenever possible. So Brian Andreas said, the first intimacy is with yourself. I highly agree that when you know what's going on within you, it is far more difficult to rattle you and it's far less frightening for you to be vulnerable with other people. If you've gone to depths 3,000, going to depths 1,000 is not a big deal. If you are normally with yourself at depths 500, going to depths 1,000 with another person is a huge deal. So the more vulnerable you can be with yourself and your own interiors, the easier it becomes to become vulnerable with others. So noticing progress, regular spiritual practice, using grist for the mill to make cool shit, being vulnerable whenever possible. Those are the ways that I make meaning. So again, how do you cultivate a sense of meaning and fulfillment in your life? It probably involves some combination of setting goals, making progress, connecting with your intuition, processing your challenges, and being vulnerable with other people. It's finding a way to contribute to the world at large while being a damn good steward of your gifts. 
which generally translates to health. Okay, so all of those questions, some of which were hopefully helpful. I want you to notice that none of them judge, but they do probe effectively into the parts of ourselves we are most likely to call fine. And if you've ever been with a female who is so, so pissed off and you ask a question and she says she's fine, you know it's a nightmare, right? All those things we call fine are not fine. So let's just talk about it. The questions also point you towards simple solutions, less screen time, a nutritious meal, singing for the sake of singing, without making you download an app or commit to a 30-day program or start P90X for the 80th time. They are, in other words, soft. Softest means you can be gentle with yourself as you navigate life, move through changes, and shift your bodily rhythms to reflect your current reality. Punitive talks with ourselves about our finances, our health, our sensitivity, and our emotions don't work. We cannot shame ourselves into being better humans. That emotion only shuts us down. To say it a different way, no pain, no gain is one of our culture's most ubiquitous lies. When we can greet our current reality with open eyes and without harsh criticism, we are far more likely to find ways to manage our actual health, meaning that we add nourishing practices, healthy relationships, downtime, sleep, and nutrient-dense foods into our lives for the long term. That 30-day plan or seven-day challenge temporarily beats us into submission and creates a false sense of progress. In most cases, we need to prioritize a single change that moves the needle forward, then spend a long time making sure we build it into our routine. Think 180 days, not 30 days, with no damaging critiques of our entire being if we screw up and slide back into our old patterns, that being the most important part. It's not the not doing P90X that hurts you. It's the not doing P90X and what you make that mean about you that hurts you in the long term. So I'm going to give some real examples of things that have happened and the ways that a soft person or a soft response can hold you. So you ate an entire cake. Love you. So you slept for one and a half hours instead of eight because you were upbraiding. Love you. So you blew a couple hundred bucks on shit you don't need but really, really enjoy or just went to Target. <laughs> Love you. So you cannot brush your teeth and shower every day to save your life. Love you. So you have never managed to make a new habit by punishing yourself. Love you too. It's all love all the way down. Not in the mushy, it's okay, just eat the cupcakes way, but in the you are human and it's okay to make mistakes way. The soulful grandmother barrel laughing at your antics way. Some days are better than others. Some years are better than others. Our job collectively is to tend to our own gardens before we tend to the world's garden. Otherwise, we run the risk of keeping our issues in circulation causing more harm than good, judging others as harshly as we judge ourselves, and we all know that's a shit show, or burning out long before we have a chance to bring our very best gifts to the table. Our job is also to take a look at all the elements of our health, mental, physical, sexual, spiritual, emotional, financial, 
before we prioritize one over the other. Because sure, it's easier to want six-pack abs, but that's ultimately not going to make you a more spiritually fulfilled person. So what would you like to work on right now? And then let that be the thing that keeps your attention for a while. So can you forgive yourself for the work you haven't yet done, the weight you haven't yet lost, the book you haven't yet read or written, the debt you haven't paid off, or the lurking pain that won't go away, or the, man the habits you haven't managed to forge? Can you, under all the layers of disappointment and fear and doubt and anger with yourself, find some small, steady place within you that is gentle and that loves you regardless? Some people might call that God. Can you love yourself with all the fierce tenderness you use to love puppies and babies and every good thing in the world? Can you acknowledge what is in this moment without apology or judgment of any kind? Because that is how you change the whole damn world, by carefully tending the worlds within you with softness, tenderness, and understanding. First for you, then for everyone else. Most people start with everyone else, myself included, and it took <laughs> a long time to get it the other way around. It is for you to make meaning, for you to decide why you're on earth, and for you to enjoy as much of your life as possible. In his book, Honestly, We Meant Well, Grant Kinder says, more than anything, she wants to tell him how purpose, that awful thing that greeting cards tell him he was born with and he just has to find, is actually something he'll need to create. That it's not until he feels the monotony of life that he'll come to decide why he's living it. So it's up to you to decide why you're living it. Softness just makes it easier to find the answers and experiment with new ways of being. And if any part of this particular podcast made you cry or gasp or giggle or blew your mind, I want to tell you about the Softness Sessions. It's part extremely personal podcast, just like this, part breathwork, and it's an actual book to boot. The Softness Sessions will help you step into the wisest, spaces within yourself. Through extremely dense teachings followed by breathwork, the softness sessions will also help you defeat asshole brain, ask better for you questions, make sense of your internal chaos, and feel the feelings you've been boxing up and hiding away for a long time now. The softness sessions are the perfect jumping off point for a kinder to you internal life, no matter how much health you've currently got. And you can get all the details at thesoft.space or go to kristenkemp.com and click on the softness sessions in the menu. You'll get a session each week for eight, for, I'm sorry, for six weeks, a real life book and journal combo in the actual mail and a live breathwork session on October 29th. We start on September 19th. So this is a bit of a lead time, but I just want you to know about it. Um, Again, it's the soft.space. You can grab your seat. And a note for my procrastinators, the sooner you purchase, the sooner I can send you the book. Waiting until the last possible second to buy is totally fine, but it means you won't have the book for the first week or two of our time together. And that would be nice for you. So it's my firm belief that soft humans are gifts to the rest of the world. I am hell-bent on becoming a soft one, and I hope you will be too. May you... Remember that judging yourself doesn't do anyone any favors. 
may you sink into softness and find that it doesn't kill you or hurt you or make you utterly unproductive. May you acknowledge what is. May you forgive yourself for what is not. And may you acknowledge the progress you're making toward what could be. May you know all the way down that you're here, that your life has meaning, that you have meaning, and that you have far more control over that meaning than you'd previously thought. May you find the courage to explore the soft, soft spaces within yourself. And may you in time come to view your sensitivity, your feelings, your love of life, and your undying affection for puppies as a blessing, not a curse. Thank you for listening. One more time, The Antidote is a series of monthly gatherings to help you come back to your body, your being, and your breath when it's most likely that you'll self-abandon. The Antidote is the antidote to trying to do everything all alone, all by yourself, while you grow more stressed and you're generally freaking out and telling everyone you're fine while quietly or not so quietly, scream sobbing in a private place between tasks. Let's not do that. Let's try something different. This is a really simple format, one gathering a month on the first Tuesday of the month until the 2024 election. So we're practicing the skills that we will need in November now and we're getting really comfortable with body, breath, and being now. And that's available to you at jointheantidote.com. There's a free recording. You can sign up. You can get more details. Enjoy, enjoy, enjoy.